You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Here's Beckham looking to throw. Wide open. It's Barkley. Inside the 20. Still going. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump, training camp is back. We're going to finally start hearing some pads being hidden. It's nice. We're done with all the offseason where all the news you ever hear is usually bad news. Well, we're almost done. I mean, this is this is kind of the final offseason episode that we have. Is training camp technically started today, a certain... Veterans and all rookies showed up today, Monday, uh, July 22nd. The full training camp with full team reports is on Wednesday, so a day after you guys are hearing this. So our first preseason episode will be next week. Uh, it's so good to talk about, Grump. I'm so sick of hearing about rosters and salary cap and expectations and the stink of last year and tanking and all that other bullshit. Now we can actually start looking for, you know, the upcoming season where we're all O and O and we're all not eliminated yet. So glad. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, we've had a we've had a week off, so we've got some stuff to discuss that we missed out on last week. Nothing major, but definitely warrants discussion. So we have a packed episode coming up, and uh, of course, um, I hope this is the last time that we have to put this into an episode until. You know, we actually have to face the Cleveland Browns, but uh, Odell Beckham is going to be a significant portion of this episode, so uh, that's just going to be in a little bit. We just have to recap over what we missed last week. Yeah, we talk not only Beckham, but I think we need to talk about the Cleveland Browns as a whole. They're getting very, very chirpy from their quarterback all the way down through their wide receiver, and it reminds me of a certain... College that plays in Central Florida, how they yap before they actually accomplish anything. So we will cover the Cleveland Browns almost as much as we will cover the New York Giants in this episode today, unfortunately. So we've got a lot to discuss, so sit tight and get ready. And, you know, just if you haven't already, be sure to download and subscribe to us for free on iTunes, SoundCloud, you know, iHeartRadio, Pornhub. I'm not even sure. What are are all the things that we're (laughs) on? old uh, first and ten over here with his uh, special feed but no <laughs> you just basically wherever you go to find a podcast and you subscribe to it we're probably on there at this point yeah. go ahead and hit the subscribe button and make us very happy and while you're at it go ahead and give us a five star rating and a nice review so we can talk to more giant fans like yourselves so we're not just talking to an echo chamber we want to talk to as many giant fans out there that we can and you can reach us as always on Twitter, you can find me as always at the Cranky Fan and Grump. Where do we find you? I'm at football underscore Grump. So if you are more comfortable doing a DM to me, which I've gotten a couple from you guys, um, you know your your insight into our podcast means more to us than I think you guys understand. So yes, um, the first order of business and things that happened while we were gone, and I think this happened like right after we released the last episode is Cameron Moore, a backup safety for the Giants, was suspended by the team, right? Not the league, the team. 
the team. After uh, the police were called to his residence, there was a domestic incident. The alleged story is a girl that he was dating since February, January, or seeing or knew about for some time, showed up at his house after he stopped answering his phone, where she found another female. The two of them were fighting with each other, and she alleges after going to the police that he, I don't know, knocked her down or something was standing on her throat. Those allegations are under investigation by the police, but the Giants suspended him upon it happening. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty decent news. Like we've said, you know, anything that happens between February and late July is usually bad news. Yeah, and especially something like this with the track record the Giants have had in the last couple of years, and we've discussed it. Mm-hmm. On this podcast quite a bit, I think, you know, the best move is you suspend. You don't want any contact with the team until more of the facts come out. But if this is true, this is probably the end of his career with the New York Giants, if not the NFL. Yeah, well, if true. I mean, obviously, this still has to go through the police process and, you know, perhaps his name will be cleared. You know, we don't know anything, but I good on the team for suspending him out right, right away. Um Nevertheless, uh, I, mean, I mean, we agree on that, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I don't care if it's the forty-sixth guy on the roster or if it is Joe Montana. If this happens, especially in this day and age, yeah, you know, something we'll live to find another day with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of, uh, you know, his suspension creates a roster spot. Um, he did play safety. I think definitely defensive back. I'm pretty sure mostly safety. Um, and what's interesting is that the guys they brought in, Trey Boston and Jonathan Cyprian, had workouts today, Monday. Um, and both of those guys not only are like head and shoulders above Cameron Moore, but you know Trey Boston, I think you could argue, would have a starting spot potentially over Antoine Bethea. Definitely, definitely would see the field if we had a, a three-safety package on the field with Bethea and uh, Jabril Peppers. This could be lemonades made out of lemons. You know, you never know for something like this. Yeah, it's very interesting that Boston was still a free agent. Um, a lot of Giants fans had wanted him. You know, they've been screaming for him for months. He's an interesting prospect because he's only 27. He did play with Bethay last year in Arizona. He did mm-hmm. not play um, under James Betcher, but he did play for Dave Gettleman in Carolina. Um, you know. I guess there's that connection there. It's certainly not somebody you're going to sign for that reason, but he's a good free safety. I, I mean, he's he's on the market. I'm surprised that he is, but would definitely fill a need on this team. Would also would also make this uh, defensive backfield, um, which is loaded with draft talent, uh, even even better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this is a defense that's still trying to find the right pieces and pieces that fit, and you know, you never leave any. Stone unturned, something like this again, where an opportunity comes, you can bring in some people, and you know it might just work out. So, yeah, and uh, Jonathan Cyprian is a guy who came out of Florida International. Um, I, I actually really thought he was, his career was going to take off in the NFL. I, I liked him a lot. He was drafted, I think, in the second round, um, but he just never really quite made that big leap where he's like a a definite starter, you know. Uh, he's kind of like on that starter to depth s- bubble spot, and uh, you know certainly would help for depth. But you know, with Trey Boston there, I'm hoping that they're gunning for him. I think the Giants currently have ten million dollars in cap space around, but 
Daniel Jones has not yet signed. They're expecting him to sign soon. He, you know, that's that's a set rate of about four million dollars, four point six million dollars going to him regardless. Not really negotiable. Um, and you have to keep some money, obviously, for um, you know midseason signings, etc. So they don't have a ton of money to work with. But well, well, Grump, when somebody gets suspended like this, what happens to that cap? Space is it still frozen? Is it what, what do we? What happens with that? Well, I'm not really sure to be honest with you, but remember the cap is calculated in the top 51 salaries. Okay. So if Cameron Moore wasn't in that, then it has no effect on the salary cap. That's true. We're not talking about uh, you know we're not talking about Beckham in a contract like that. We're talking probably one of the lowest on the team. Correct. As, as far as I know. This could definitely be lemonades out of lemon. Getting Trey Boston on this team ha- has the potential to really, really uh, bolster a defense that we were worried were, you know, outside pieces or uh, you know draftees. I mean, Janoris Jenkins is kind of the the only one that's played on this defense last year. Really, I mean, Michael Thomas, you could argue, but still as a depth player. You know, Sam Beal, you know, you could argue had some work in the in the classroom last year. But other than that, I mean, we're looking at DeAndre Baker, yeah. Julian Love, Corey Ballantyne, uh, you know, Antoine Bethea did work with Betcher but was not on this team last year. So Jabril Peppers was not on this team last year. So this would really, really help get some more talent back there, some experience back there, uh, you know. And competition. You know, you want, you, sure. want guys, you want guys going into training camp not knowing if they have a job or not and fighting and kicking and clawing with every practice and every rep. So this is good for no other reason to provide some competition throughout uh, training camp in the preseason. So with training camp starting on Wednesday and, you know, we're going to get into that next week, you know, the more specifics on how people did and, you know, what to look for in the first preseason game in a couple weeks. But what is it that you are, you know, we've had this gap of time now since the last action for the Giants, uh, what is it that you're really looking forward to uh, in in this upcoming training camp? Well, I mean, the obvious, and we say this almost every single episode, is we want anybody getting hurt. We don't want, you know, star players getting hurt. We don't want guys in position battles getting hurt. We frankly don't want anybody getting hurt. And I think that's the, you know, first and foremost for my thing is that's what I want to see. Uh, second thing I want to see is I want to see, like I mentioned just before, I want genuine competition in almost every position on this team. There are very, very few spots that you could say you're penciling in this person as the starter, case closed, no questions asked. Uh, when you're a team that struggled as badly as they have the last couple of years with the amount of roster turnover we've had the last couple of years, nobody is safe. And what I want to see is I want to see some fierce competition, you know, in the secondary, on the offensive line, it wide receiver. Hey, I want to see. I want to see competition at quarterback. I want to see Daniel Jones make his mark on this thing to make coaches think about what the game plan is on a short and long term basis. I don't want him just to go in there thinking, "Well, I'm going to sit this year and that's that." I want him to push for at least the backup role in this team. If not, push Eli. It'll make Eli better as well. So. I think that's the second thing I really want to see is just real competition during this camp. Um, I want to see continued uh, implementation of the offense and the defense. You know, last year, you know, 
the whole new coaching regime, there was a lot of changes in the way the schemes were in this team. I just want to see it continue. I don't want to see – I don't need to see as much, you know, how do I practice with this coaching staff. They should know that by now. I want to see, you know, refinements to this offensive and defensive game plan and things where Betcher really can put his defense in now. He's getting more of the guys that he wants for his offense. So – a lot less when we get to week one kind of confusion and chaos. You know, I don't ever want to see what we saw last year with the offensive line where they were trying to gel and it was just a, a sieve. I think I, we should have a, a faster learning curve this year than we did last year too. It's very interesting. You segued perfectly into what I was going to say. And I'm, you know, we can see a lot of things with wide receivers, with DBs, uh, tight ends, quarterbacks, even to a certain extent, the running backs in, in the, the spring camp thing but what we can't see in training camp is some hitting and um what i'm most excited to see is the continued development of this offensive line especially with the addition of uh zeitler um i'd like to see you know we saw those first couple weeks uh you know last year where will hernandez was sort of getting his feet wet and getting shit together you know we we saw them scramble after um John Jalapio went down with a fractured leg, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had to pull in Spencer Pulley. And, you know, we saw the experiment end with uh, Patrick Omame at right guard. And, you know, we kind of rolled with something else. We saw the experiment with Eric Flowers at right tackle end. And Chad Wheeler stepped up to the plate. You know, now with, with Mike Remmers and Kevin Zeitler, we're hoping that, you know, I, I'm hoping that we see not only these new pieces – you know, gel a little bit faster because, uh, like you said, the offensive scheme is a little bit more, you know, Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, John Jalapio, they all have this a little bit more under their belt. Um, you know, we won't see as much confusion or anything on the left-hand side. We're hoping that they'll be able to help the coaches implement things on the right-hand side with these guys who are veterans. You know, Mike Remmers is a veteran. Kevin Zeitler is a very good veteran. I'm looking to see that this offensive line means business is ready to push people around in a way that we haven't seen since about 08, 09. Yeah. Um, and less, I, te- less teaching, more installation. Right, I right. And and I'd like to see, you know, now that we can see some hitting, I really want to see, I don't want to see the walkthroughs of guys, you know, pulling and going into gaps and then just kind of tap. I want to see people getting smacked around. You know, we have a very young, very ferocious defensive front between B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson and now Dexter Lawrence. You know, those guys, they're coming to training camp ready to hit anyway. I want to see them – I want to see that battle in the trenches. You know, we've we've been sold this bill of goods of hog mollies and the big bodies in the middle. I want to see it happen. I want to see the trench warfare. I want to see people getting hit and moved around. I want it to be physical. I want to see the training camp fights, honestly. I want to see – I want to see that this team wants to win as much as I think they want to win. Yeah. I mean, we see all the time, usually around the second or third week, there's a brawl in camp and people are like, oh, save it for the other team. No, I want this team to have a mean streak and an anger streak and be ready to beat the hell out of somebody. And, you know, it's nothing personal on the other side, but this team has to be has to be ready to beat some ass when the regular season starts. I mean, we saw this team really was not prepared to start the regular season last year, and that's not all their fault. No, we sort of expected that. Right, but this is year two. Yes. And I think all the free passes are pretty much gone for this coaching staff and for this you no know, roster. And for some of these guys that are here now, 
you know, prove you belong on, in this league and on this team. So go out there and fight for your, your roster spot. Fight for your starting position. Fight to win some things. Yeah, exactly. And And that brings us all the way back to Odell Beckham Jr., who gave an article to or gave an interview for an article for GQ um, that was released well, today. Yes. Well, well, honestly, let's go back to last week for how this all the chirping really started. Okay. All right. So we're going back to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield made some comments last week. I'm not sure solicited, unsolicited, or where it came from, but he basically said. I have the quote right here. This is okay. from Mayfield. He's here to work, and he wants to be surrounded by people who love him and support him and allow him to be himself. He's here to play in front of fans who actually care, who will actually show up to every game and pack the stadium and love him for who he is. Now, <laughs> as excited as Brown fan is right now for the potential of this team, this team has done nothing in years. Mm-hmm. Didn't make the playoffs last year. Not very good last year, and they're getting a little ahead of their skis for what their potential is for what they've actually accomplished at this point. I mean, they have some. They have some. Um, well, I mean, they definitely have a reason to hope and be excited, and that's that's totally fine. Uh, but like you said, they have uh, Freddie Kitchens is now what the head coach. He's the head coach. We know nothing about how he's going to do as a head coach, right? I mean, that that alone should should spell some worry for them. Sure. Here, here's one of the things I had to temper Giants fan base about, about how loyal their fans are. We've been going there. I've been going to games with you since 2009, just about mm-hmm. every home game, right? Right. You and I have seen that fan base dwindle with 2011 and maybe 2016 as outliers. Mm-hmm. When this team doesn't win, this fan base sells their tickets, and that is fact. That is that is fact. By the same token... This team also this this fan base also travels very well. You know, I've obviously Florida doesn't really count since it's basically South New York. And we've been to several Tampa shows, but uh, shows uh games. But I mean, I've been out to Denver and I've seen this fan base travel. And that was on a yeah. Monday night. You know, I I've been out I, I we we went to Charlotte. This team Let me was ask there. let me tell you something. Why does this team sell their tickets when they're not doing good? Because it is an enormous fan base, and for the 78,000 lucky season ticket holders out there, there is probably quintuple that who live in the New York area who don't get to go. And they know there is a market for people who will sell their tickets. Now, if you're in Jacksonville, you're in you know, Tampa, you're in some of these other places that struggle to have good attendance when they are playing poorly, those seats remain empty because people don't go. There's no market for them. There's not as big of a fan base. And I'm not criticizing Jacksonville or Tampa. I'm just saying just for the sheer size of the New York market, the history of the New York Giants, and you know the star quality they've had for years and years and years. So, you know, and quite honestly, since the last Super Bowl, this team has not been very good with some very minor outliers. Yes. And we've I, – I think the other thing is you know, these fans are leaving earlier and I'm not just talking about primetime games and we're, we're showing up later. I mean how many times have you and I walked to our seats about 30 minutes before kickoff and that place is empty. It's empty. You know, they I'm don't gonna be care. Honest. I'm going to be honest. A lot of NFL cities are like that now. You know, it's uh, – the fan base has changed in the last 20 years in the NFL than it was 
all of these new stadiums, ticket prices have gone up, the introduction of PSLs, more club seats, more boxes. It's a different, you know, it's a different crowd than it used to be. And, you know, you have more elaborate things like better options inside the stadium. You know, there was no Jameson room in the old giant stadium. You didn't have club lounges where it had, you know, a thousand TVs and a, and a, and a smorgasbord of food where people can eat. I mean, it, it's a different, it's a different fan experience than it used to be where getting in your seat 50 minutes before the game and rah, rah cheering is not what it used to be. And, and I, I understand that and I accept it, but for, you know, let's, bring this round back to Baker Mayfield, you know, to call out this fan base for not being loyal for, you know, because quite honestly, it's been a garbage team lately is really silly. When you look at a place like Cleveland where, you know, they lost a team 20 years ago because the quote unquote loyal fans would not pay for a new stadium and they left. So it's very true. And Baker Mayfield has been in the league for all of, Less than a season. Um, well, he's a cocky asshole. We all know that. I mean, going back to the you know the uh, you know the upside down uh, hook 'em horns at Texas and running his mouth then and everything. And he's a dick. And, and we all you know he'll learn over time to kind of temper that arrogance, or you know he'll be a marked man in this league by by somebody. So I don't necessarily care what he says about things like that, but just the fact that you know if we're going to kind of circle this now into Odell Beckham. Well, 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 I just want to before before we go full circle, I I want to temper some Giants fans' enthusiasm here. It, unless you actually go to these games every week and you see what it's like in there, don't sit there and assume that this is some super strong fan base because it's it's really not the strongest fan base in the league. It is. Yeah. I mean, like, forget Baker Mayfield, whatever. Just your blind loyalty to this fan base and on our our you know fellow. People in the seats next to us is a little misguided. Um, you know, you guys have to. You guys have to show up. You have to not quit. You have to not leave early. You know, I can't tell you how many times we we've just been watching people get up and leave in the third quarter. And yeah. you know, I can appreciate ridiculous. everything you said about not being in your seats right when when kickoff starts. And I, I get it. And you know, whatever times have changed, amenities have changed. That all makes sense, and that's fine. But it doesn't change the fact that these Eagles games over the last seven years, eight years, have become more and more like visiting games for me than they have been home games. There is a direct correlation to this team losing and fans giving up on it and worrying about other sports. But I think think that's every fan base. I don't think that's a – a problem that Giant fans aren't good. I just think it's kind of more – I agree. That's a league and it's a sport issue too. I mean I I, have tickets to the Knicks and – you go in there where they're playing LeBron or they're playing, you know, Boston or something. It's not nineteen thousand Nick fans strong. It's you know very close to being even sometimes. That's fine, and I, and I understand that that might happen in every other city. But Giants fans should take note that that happens in this city as well. This mm-hmm. is not a super strong fan base. That I don't think that MetLife has a real big home field advantage. I mean, I you know we we talk about this, but but it's not. The same as going to Kansas City and and, yeah. and that real loud environment of rabid fans. It is not like that. It's well, just I mean, not. That, that's that's very obvious. Just, you know, you live up in New York. I mean, if you're in a place like Kansas City or even like Tampa or Jacksonville, I'll go back to them for a second. 
Sunday, one o'clock is the social high point of those cities existence. Everybody at work, you know, you talk to people at work. And again, a lot of those cities, that's where people are from. People are from Jacksonville. They're from Kansas City. They're from Cleveland. They're from these cities where they've grown up being a Browns fan. They've grown up being a Chiefs fan. Their parents are Chiefs fans. And you're at work. Hey, are you going to the game Sunday? Oh, yeah, let's meet the tailgate. Giant fans, it's a little different in New York because there's, A, so many people are from somewhere else. It, the city is so big that, you know, it's just, you know, the 78,000 people at Giant Stadium kind of get absorbed by the other 10 million people in this town. And you don't have those conversations, you know, with the water cooler. Hey, you know, we want to grab a beer before the third quarter or something. And they, that happens in other places. So New York is an unusual place relative to other NFL cities. And that's fine. It's just that Giants fans need to understand that this is the case. It is yeah. not It is not this stellar home field advantage filled with a sea of blue. It just isn't. It, it has not been since the day MetLife Stadium opened. No. But, and, and, you know, I will say if you go back and watch games, if you just listen to games from 2011, you know, the, when you hear the crowd roar in 2011 versus when the crowd, quote, air quotes, roars from last year, it's like – it's like a high school level versus a college level of. Change. Well, it was there was a meeting in 2011. I mean, of course, we were we were on a road to a Super Bowl. I mean, I'm just saying that the idea the Giants fans have of 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 what they were defending against when Baker Mayfield said what he said, it, it's misguided. There is some ring of truth to what he said in terms of what shows up in the stadium in the seats the last couple of years. Well, here's the thing also. As we segue into Odell Beckham, it's just like all of a sudden he's not going into this panacea of, you know, eternal bliss with Cleveland fans. Cleveland fans have been beaten down for years and years as well. They've had a lot of meaningless seasons. And look at attendance in there. And don't look at the paid attendance, what you see in the box score. You know, go to YouTube or something and find a clip from like week 15 in 2012. And tell me how many people are actually in that stadium. It's not this, you know, it's easy to have revisionist history and act like you're the holier-than-thou fan base when that is not the case. And you know something? Let's see the first time Beckham does a Beckham move and let's see how well that plays there. I mean, I think the Giant fan base, and we've actually been pretty critical of the Giant fan base for forgetting a lot of the things that Beckham did, even though we thought they weren't that big of a deal, that a lot of Giant fans were like, this is my guy my favorite giant of all time, you know, I, I ride or die with this guy where, you know, some things were, you know, kind of got on some people's nerves, got on my nerves after a while. It's just like it, you're in a constant soap opera. Sure. So let's go so, into what he said. The The big quote I saw, and I didn't read the whole article because I'm, I'm going to preface this right now, is that not my problem anymore. I, I don't care what he has to say about anything anymore. As long as he's not a member of the Giants, anything he says in an article uh, means nothing, you know. It's not going to affect anything I see on the field week one, so I don't care. But the big quote that I saw was that he felt disrespected about the trade because I guess he was told over the phone he wasn't told face-to-face what was going on, quote, going on. Uh, I think the big thing here is that we understood that this sort of happened pretty quickly over the course of a few days, this trade. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know what he really expects to happen face-to-face. Uh, I mean, 
especially with the way news breaks now through Twitter, he found out when all of us found out. So, you know, the trade happened, phone, you know, click, disconnects, and the news is on Twitter already. So unless he's in the room when the phone went, you know, he's not really entitled to a process, the process. So I'm not really sure what he's looking for exactly. You know something? He got his respect earned by the New York Football Giants when he signed that enormous contract. Sure, and he's still getting paid that contract. And he's still getting paid that contract. He was made the centerpiece of you know the end all be all basically of their roster by giving him that contract. You know, I don't see where the respect was given when he goes on to ESPN and trashes his quarterback and trashes his team in midseason. You know. I don't see where the respect for this team is by getting suspended by continuously jarring with Josh Norman. I don't see, you know, it goes both ways. And, you know, Gettleman can say all he want about it was a football decision. I don't believe that it was a 100% football decision. I think it was situations like this that flare up once, twice a year that I think they had enough. And when you had enough, you've lost a certain respect level for the player. So maybe that's a message that was deliberately sent that you're getting this message by phone. And this may be one of the reasons why you are being treated. So for him to whine about that, he was going to whine about everything. He's the guy is, you know, I don't have to go into what, what a talent is. We all know that, but he is a very fragile personality. He is a very self-centered person. Which is okay because the best of the best usually are like that. Right. But knowing that you are, I can't get all wrapped up in his feelings. You know, the end of the day, he's probably in a better football situation than he was in before. He's still getting his money. He'll still be a big star. He's not playing in New York anymore. It's I don't see that many differences between him and Christos Porzingis, who is with the Knicks. Both have incredible talents. Both of them through, you know, death by paper cut for all the little things that became distraction, distraction, distraction. To finally, I think both general managers, whether Scott Perry with the Knicks or Gabe Gellman with the Giants, just said, you know something? Nobody's worth this. And they cut bait. Yeah, I think to a certain extent you're right. Yeah, I, I I would not say he's a diva in the way that Terrell Owens was, but I would say that um, he needed special attention. He was entitled. You know, he required some level of coddling that, had he not been uber talented, would be unnecessary. That's a definition to me of a diva, and well, I, I don't I don't see the distinction between him and Terrell Owens. I mean, well, the difference to me, well. If he had more instances on the field like he had with Josh Norman, that to me is 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 problematic behavior. Everything else is just, well, we kind of have to do a little bit of damage control and you know control him a little bit. You know, it requires extra attention. But for me, everything that he's done other than the Josh Norman incident has been a minor annoyance that I can, for the most part, brush off. And could be handled with him on a side conversation like this, and we can't have this. This is why we can't have this. Blah 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 blah. But I would should, say whatever. I would but, say that with, with the exception of the ESPN interview last year. Oh, that's I, correct. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that signed his death sentence for being a New York Giant when he did that. I still that, don't understand what what there was to gain from that. To I me. think. I, yeah. 
I think that was A, immaturity. B, you know, just being oblivious to what other people think about him. And C, we don't know this and we may never know this, but maybe that was his way of trying to instigate a trade ultimately. You know, just because he got his money, remember, you get traded, you still get your money. Mm-hmm. So all he really wanted was the contract. He nece- you know, it's not a guarantee everyone the contract with the Giants. He just wanted the contract. I mean, it could be. I'm not sure that he really wanted to trade, but maybe he wanted a change in culture. Maybe he thought he could change it. I, I don't know. The other major thing that became a, a takeaway from that is that he said that uh, he was what made this team relevant the last couple of years, and he cited the record that the team had uh, versus their primetime appearances. Um, and I, I think he's kind of right about that. I mean, let's be serious. This team has stunk, and they have continued to get Sunday night football appearances, and they showed up and stunk out loud on Sunday and Monday night. Well, um, first of all, first of all, this team stunk with him on the team. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't reflect very well on him. I, I mean, yeah. there there were several of those appearances. I, I believe you know they he was either hurt in or and didn't play, or you know he was on the team and they didn't play well. So you know, I, I mean, he's right in a certain sense. I mean, no matter what, he's going to be part of that primetime story. It's going to be, you know, how many catches he has. He's either on fire or they're going to illuminate how often he's not being targeted or has dropped passes. So no matter what, he's going to be part of the conversation of the the game. Or they're going to show the highlight package of him with the net. Yeah. Or or the highlight package of all the bullshit that he's associated with. Or the highlight package of him in pregame just catching balls. Yeah. Which means nothing ultimately. Right. So to a certain extent, he's right. Um, but I, I don't know, I guess personally, so, so for starters on what he is and isn't right about, um, I think there's a difference of one primetime game between last year and this year. There are no Sunday night football appearances, but there are two Monday nights and a Thursday this year. And guess what? You know, if this team all of a sudden is seven and one, they will, they will in. most likely be flex in. So that's, you know, there's two things we can talk about with this thing. One, relevance on prime time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we want to talk about that actually meaning something. We just went through a whole thing saying how the Giant fans don't have the greatest home field advantage in the stadium and they leave early and blah, 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 blah. But they are probably still one of the five or six most popular teams in the NFL. Um, I would venture to guess in any city in America, besides the home team being the most popular team, the Giants are just a notch below, in a long-term sustainable way, below Dallas and Pittsburgh. I, I think they are on an equal level with Green Bay. I think Green Bay's popularity around the league is a lot also based on, you know, having Brett Favre, having Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but the Giants are right up there. They're right up there with the with the Oakland Raiders for, for national popularity. People will tune in to watch them, whether they are really good or eh. So I think he might be a little, a little mistaken for little. his, you know, you know, importance or being, you know, a key for prime time. The second thing is, does it really matter for him prime time or not for relevancy? I mean, who really cares? 
I mean, well, I can I, I can get into this because this is sort of what I was going to say next. Is, is it does indicate something at the outset of the season? You know, who is scheduled for primetime? Because they do schedule these primetime games to be the best matchups. You know, to be to be you know the the teams that they think most of the nation is going to be interested in. It usually reflects on how well they are, and that's fine. But do I give a shit? Because I don't. I have to say, I could care less. I I'm, this this is sort of personal, but I mean, I hate I hate NBC's broadcast. I don't think they do anything that I like. All the extra dazzles that they do pregame and throughout the game, where they have these big graphics, I think they're cheesy and corny, and I think they're annoying. I think they take away from the broadcast itself because oftentimes they're cutting away from it, and the play has already started. I don't like Al Michaels. I don't like Chris Collinsworth. I don't think the background they work work that they do before the game is is all that relevant, important, um, or insightful. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, it's it's just. <laughs> It seems to me to be a very late broadcast of a game with a bunch of other advertisements and bells and whistles I don't care for. Personally, well, I've always liked the 1 o'clock broadcasts better and attending 1 o'clock games better. Yeah, I mean I'm going to look at this in two ways. One, I look at the Sunday night game as kind of like their attempt to recreate the Super Bowl broadcast 17 times a year. Yes. They are trying to go for as much as a mass audience as they possibly forget as they can get. That audience and that broadcast is not aimed at the grump or the cranky fan. Of course. Or anybody or anybody listening to this show. This is for the person that casually watches sports. This is for someone that, you know, does stuff on the weekends and they want to sit around the house, the family watching football on Sunday night. That is the goal of it. That's why you have Carrie Underwood singing. <sighs> yeah, you, because, I, I forgot to mention how much I hate that. Because, mm-hmm. because Carrie Underwood is not for you. It is for the house brow that watches American Idol and wants to be entertained. Uh, you know, The Super Bowl gets astronomical ratings. Sunday Night Football is the biggest rated show of the week because they want to get everybody to watch it. You know, the one o'clock game, you're not getting Carrie Underwood. You're not getting all the fluff involved. That's for us. Now, me personally, I prefer attending a one o'clock game, home or away. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not attending it, especially me, you know, traveling, you know, back and forth to Florida every weekend. Racing to get home by one o'clock on a Sunday is a pain in the ass. It's it's brutal on the body. It's expensive. I would rather watch the Giants if I could at night, just because it's just easier for me to do that. And if it's a rare weekend where I'm not traveling, maybe I can, you know, do something on a Sunday. You know, catch another game or something, or do something. And so, to me, for my own personal selfish viewing habits. I would rather them be on at night, not because I want them to be relevant or anything, just it's easier for me. I'm a selfish person. That's my reasoning. <laughs> but, you know, for Beckham to say, well, they're only relevant because of me and then people worrying about how many times you're on Sunday night or something, it's it doesn't matter. And honestly, if the goal is to win a Super Bowl, I kind of want the easiest, easiest pass path possible to go to the Super Bowl. So if I'm not playing on Sunday night or Monday night, I'm not playing the hardest game of the week, potentially. 
I'm not playing the toughest teams or not thought of. So maybe maybe it's not a bad thing we're not a marquee game. I just think it's silly to inject himself into the spotlight for this because there's so many – there's a counter argument for everything. He says that Cass is just as much negatively. I mean there's the, the fact that he's the only thing making them relevant. Well, that's a definition. But, that's but a definition. they're still losing. That's a definition of a narcissist and a and a you know and a, and a diva. Well, but I mean, that, we established to a certain extent right. these but guys saying, are narcissists and divas. Right, but, that, but you're asking you don't understand why he needs to get him make himself about him because that's all these guys do is well, make so. about themselves. I'm just saying it's it's a it's a bad argument because it doesn't reflect well on you to to say that because to say that I was the only thing keeping this thing relevant because people wanted to see me. But this team continued to lose is literally admitting that no matter how good you are, you cannot help this team win. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know maybe your aim is to say that they're so bad that not even I can help them win. But it doesn't really reflect that way when it you takes gotta, two seconds of thought. You got to remember something, and I'm going to use this analogy, and don't misquote me on this. It's a lot like Trump, where. Half the country is going to vilify you for every word you say and everything you do, but half the country thinks you do no wrong by what you say or what you do. And narcissists gravitate towards the people that love them and would think he does no wrong. They don't care. You know, they can say, well, fuck them, but. They are driven more by the people, that constant reminder to of how great they are and how much they are loved by people. And you can cultivate on social media a huge, enormous following of people who just love you. So he can say whatever, and he won't even hear you know, the critics. He's just hearing uh, you know, all his fans saying, yeah, you're right, uh, Odell, you're you're right. You are the the straw that stirs the drink. You are that guy. So they don't really care about the backlash because they have enough people patting them on the back and kissing their ass that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. To me, you know, this is stirring. This is a, a an uproar that has come out. You know, just as the start of training camp. Hopefully, this Giants team, if they're going to pay any attention to it at all, use it as fuel. I, to, to help them win this year. I, mean, I that's, think that's all means, I really care about. I think it means absolutely nothing to the team, to training camp or anything. I think the fans will get in an uproar. I think the media will, will run with it like wild because, you know, he's one of those guys where you can get a, a four-day news cycle out of for anything that he says or does. But how does the team feel? I mean, it's not a division rival. It's not a conference foe. It's a team – we're facing next year, but that's next year. Who knows what's going to happen next year? I, I think it just mean, it means absolutely nothing. I, it's, I don't even consider it even a distraction to the Giants. No. Um, and I guess the only thing I can really part with on this is uh, Cleveland fans that think that this is hilarious, him calling out the Giants, is just wait for the next interview. The next interview is probably not going to go as well for you. Oh, the honeymoon period, you're in full effect right now. He hasn't had one practice. By the way, he missed the uh, the voluntary workouts. All of them? I thought he only missed a couple. He missed a couple. But you know something? If you're starting fresh with a new organization and trying to absorb everything about it, not the greatest look. I suppose don't, so, yeah. Don't tell me your private workouts are more important. You may be better physically for it, but you know, trying to get on the same page with your quarterback and stuff. I mean – 
trust me, Cleveland fan, you're going to have an incident. It may not even be this year. It might be next year where you're going to be like, oh, <laughs> we, we, we have to deal with this as well. This is now our problem too. And he might be great. He might have 1,500 yards and God knows how many touchdowns, an insane highlight that we played a thousand times, a signature catch, maybe win a game or two for him. But you're going to be dealing with a lot of baggage too. And Cleveland fan, win something before I take you seriously in anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the certain Cleveland fan that I was arguing with on Twitter didn't really seem to have a grasp of what New York is actually like in any capacity. Um, at, to the point where I had to actually stop talking to him because it was like talking to a child. But whatever. Well, I mean, places like Cleveland are always have small town syndrome where 